football book is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast, Thursday, June the 8th. No Steve Palazzolo today, which means the great and wonderful Trevor Sikma is back in the chair with the headset. How's it going, Trev? Going good, my friend. Appreciate it anytime you invite me on to this wonderful show. And uh, we, you picked a very good topic for us to go over, so I'm excited about the conversation, my friend. Yeah, I think we're going to have a fun show. We're going to talk about... Um, People in the NFL, not players, coaches, GMs, but all of them, really, who are under the most pressure heading into the 2023 season. Um, I also got a mailbag question that I think will be a good one to fire your way. But let's oh, start. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't prep me with the no, mailbag question. You, you so this, this, this is truly just whatever it is off the top of my head. Yes, absolutely. Look, you don't understand the way things work in this show. Generally speaking, the less prep, the better. The more you just fly by the seat of your pants, you know, wing it, ad lib. That's where the magic happens. So we'll get to the the mailbag question later. But also, breaking news, um, the Dalvin Cook thing is happening. Dalvin Cook has been informed that he is being released. So uh, what's your reaction to the Dalvin Cook news? Uh, I'm a little shocked we got to this point. Um, But but it does feel like things like this happen every NFL offseason, right? Where it seems like there's this veteran who... maybe could be on the cusp of not being as good as they were before. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, they're going to release them. And you go, whoa, 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 how did did we get here? Because you and I actually had this conversation back when I was doing the running back rankings over at PFF.com. And uh, I had Dalvin like right around 10. I can't remember if I had him like nine or 10, but you you mentioned, okay, he probably should go up a little bit. And I remember me having Dalvin at 10 and nine after I published the article, I went and looked at some other articles that have some running back rankings out there. A lot of people were even lower on Dalvin cook. It's like, this is still one of the best backs in the NFL. I think even from a volume perspective too, he's one of the few guys that can actually be a bell cow for you can take over on all three downs. And even though he wasn't as efficient last year as he had been in the past, I still think that ability is within him. So I am a little shocked. The Vikings moved on from him just by outright releasing him. I know they tried to trade him, but look, once word gets out there that you might release a guy, every team in the NFL is like, okay, well, we're probably not going to trade anything for him. We'll just make the better offer for him once they become a free agent. So a little shocked, but uh, I like Miami as a potential landing spot for him. I think that that would be a ton of fun if he gets down to South Florida. Yeah, it's it's. I think a lot of people are drawing that parallel. Um, it's, it's really just an obvious conclusion as to where – that kind of contract leads you with a running back, even a really good one. Because I think you're right. Dalvin Cook is still absolutely a fantastic running back. Even a team like the Vikings, who have sort of future-proofed well or contingency planned well at the running back position, right? Alexander Madison has been there a couple of years and done well when he's been on the field, even this season or this draft, you know, they've, they've got extra guys come in to, to stockpile that, that spot. They should be fine. But even in the last couple of years, when it hasn't quite been the, the very peak of Dalvin Cook, there has been a clear difference in 
general metrics, general success in running the ball when Dalvin Cook has been there versus when Alexander Madison has been there. And, and Madison's mm-hmm. a good running back, but Dalvin Cook mm-hmm. is a great running back. It's just that when you've given him the kind of contract that they had given him, you reach a point where those numbers become so big that you just can't accept it anymore, right? And if everything, yeah. if everything else hasn't gone perfectly, like if you're not staring down the barrel of what is objectively one of the best rosters in the NFL, like if you were the Eagles, say, this year, and you had Dalvin Cook's contract, maybe you'd go, okay, fine, we can deal with that. Like it's, it's big, it's expensive, it's a contract we would rather not be carrying, but it's the kind of thing that's going to take us – to the championship game or to the Super Bowl again, you'd find a way to live with it, right? Whereas right. if you're the Vikings and you're not carrying that kind of roster, you're like, we've got some problems. We're borderline playoff team. Right. We need to make some changes. Like, we can't carry this kind of contract. So I think it's just it's, it's the sort of sad reality of running backs in the NFL that as soon as you get this kind of deal, not just your performance has to stay amazing – but the team's roster around you has to stay amazing. Otherwise, you're immediately the first casualty. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. And uh, obviously, with Kevin O'Connell being the first-year head coach last year, O'Connell didn't help sign Cook to the, his previous contract. I don't think Quessy did either, right? Wasn't it the f- No, I think it was Spielman, f- right? Yeah, it was the full former regime that gave him that massive contract. So we kind of know that Quessy... Um, when I say is like a fluid thinker, that kind of sounds like a negative, like he's wishy-washy, but he's not. That's not the way that I that I mean to say it. It's it's more so he has been very outgoing and explanatory with how he's approaching being a general manager. He's like, look, this is kind of how I'm approaching this job, but I'm also going to learn on the fly in my first handful of years of being a GM. And I think that throughout these last couple of years of, of him being at the helm and him having his hand over this whole roster – he wants to allocate most of his money into more of the premium positions. He wants to do the same with the NFL draft, I think, as well. So he's fine in that mix. And the the thought of him and, and O'Connell not being the ones to orchestrate, push, and sign off on that major contract, to me, goes into why this ended up happening. Because I think we all sort of figured that the Vikings would be regressing. Right. But how often do teams who are coming off their first year as a new head coach and win 13 games. How often did they just release one of their best players, especially on the offensive side of the ball? It doesn't happen very often. I think the case is more so that people believe, oh, look, we're a 13-win team. We're right there. And you don't really make the decisions you need to. So this is kind of a hard decision for them, but I think that it does make sense with them moving on, given where the rest of the roster is, like you mentioned. Yeah, and they're kind of quietly you know, trying to get this cap in order, I think. I think they're probably going to approach it in a slightly different way direction that the the previous regime did and obviously Dalvin Cook's gone Zadarius Smith is gone as well the the chat box is pointing out um the you know Danelle Hunter is supposedly on the trade block but that's been rumbling for a long time I mean there's a lot of these contracts that they are going to try and get rid of over the next couple of years in part because presumably you're going to have to pay Justin Jefferson some kind of giant contract but just generally I think Kwesi and, and the new regime is going to try and do this in a slightly different direction mm-hmm. or in a slightly different way. Having criticized them in the past, we're not doing that, right? Like up until now, it has been kind of like business as usual with this new regime. They just continued on what the old regime was doing and really right. didn't do an awful lot different. But it does seem like they are going to try and take this salary cap management in a different direction. And that starts with 
kind of clearing house with the contracts that you can get away from without, you know, without sort of getting rid of every significant contract where you really can't do it without hurting and carrying a giant amount of dead cap space. And there's, there's a couple of those on the roster as well. Yeah. And you can't, you know, you can't come in as a GM and clean the cap in year one, because then you start to lose a lot of faith in the people who are within the organization, whether it's the players, whether it's the coaches, whether it's the whatever, in order for a team to build successfully, you all have to believe in each other. The players have to believe that they're getting a good contract from the general managers. The coaches have to believe the general managers are going to put the right team around them and, and vice versa. Truly. I think that general managers have to have faith in the people that they hire and sign underneath them as well to let them do their jobs and give them enough time to kind of figure out whether or not they're worth it. So this timeline is as crazy as it is to say, wow, Dalvin Cook's still good. I can't believe the Vikings are getting rid of him. If their ultimate goal for this long-term plan was kind of, hey, this is the timeline of where we're really going to, as you said, clean up our cap space, try to make sure that we're getting rid of a lot of dead contracts, dead money that's got low ROI, reallocate that towards those premium positions. This does seem like the right time in Kwesi Adapomensis timeline for this to actually happen. I mean, what the Vikings are doing right now is organizing their financial future. And if you're looking to organize your financial future, Trev, make sure to start with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for all your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies, plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. It has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Fabric was specifically designed to give parents like you or, you know, me, I don't think you're a parent, Trev, but you get the idea. Uh, affordable life-term insurance, plus wills, access to college savings funds, and more, all in an easy online experience. Take steps to help protect your family today with Fabric by Gerber Life. Take the 60-second quiz to find out if term life insurance is right for you, and apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company and distributed by Gerber Life Agency, LLC, using fabric technologies, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For more information, visit us at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. You got to love that transition, right? Oh, that was flawless. (laughs) Flawless right there. Yeah. As as somebody who does a decent amount of hosting on different shows, Mm -hmm. I mean, sir... That's one of the best that I've heard in in, uh, in quite some time. So I, bravo I'm, to you. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty proud of it. I think that was a pretty good one. I'm, you I'm, should be. I'm happy put with that, the way. Put that one on the highlight reel. Yes. You know how like people the have like, their reel. broadcast highlight reels? The sizzle put reel. Put that one <laughs> right at the front. We're going to put that as part of the advertising media deck. You know, like the, the yes! CPM, like all yes. the costs. And then, by the way, you should just check out this 10 seconds right here. This is the kind of thing we could do for your business right now. Love it. All right, let's get into the meat of the podcast. The people, players, coaches, GMs, whoever it is, who are uh, not on the hot seat because, you know, the the slightly different thing, but under pressure heading into the 2023 season. Uh, I think we both created a top five. I'm going to pitch it to you. Who's your your leadoff hitter? 
this isn't necessarily like in order, like ranked of most under pressure, but right. I, I do want to start off with Justin Fields and uh, behind that O-line, everybody would be under pressure. Am I right? No, actually, <laughs> they've made some good investments along the O-line. Um, that was just a low-hanging fruit joke. So look, I, Justin Fields has to be under pressure because this is, of course, year three for him. Uh, year one, I thought was okay, but first year as a starter, I think there's a lot of things that aren't ideal, certainly with where the Bears were with their offensive line at that point. No joking there. It was not good enough. Last year, I think the offensive line improved some of their investments that they made in draft and free agency. They were panning out a little bit more, but the receiving core still was not what it needed to be. Justin Fields became an excellent rusher at the pro level. We saw him with an elite rushing grade last year, over a thousand yards on the ground. And so that part of his game was awesome. He showed what kind of a dynamic threat he can be as a, uh, as a dual threat player back there. But the passing just straight up wasn't good enough. You know, the big time throws were down in percentage from the year before. The turnover-worthy plays were up in percentage from the year before. The ratio was getting worse in that second season. The adjusting completion percentage was up a little bit, but the decision-making, the overall accuracy, like it wasn't there for him. And I think a lot of people would say, well, look at who he was throwing to. You went, you go into that last season, right? I think if you turn back the clock a year ago today, his receivers that he had to throw the ball to was a young and inexperienced Cole Komet, uh, Darnell Mooney, who was basically the only really reliable option for them going into the year. And then it was like Equiminia St. Brown, Dante Pettis, Byron Pringle. Like, it's not guys who are major difference makers. You can look at that group and say, yeah, all right, if prom prime Tom Brady was throwing it to him, yeah, maybe you could make it work. Or like if Mahomes is throwing to him, maybe you can make it work. But not Justin Fields in his second year, especially with the lack of offensive line in front of him at that point in time. This year, it's different. This year, you're going into year three, which is the time when we can realistically expect those quarterbacks to really take that next step, that big leap, hopefully. And the receiving core is completely different. Darnell Mooney is now with Chase Claypool and DJ Moore, as well as a couple other guys that they drafted as well that uh, they like that is kind of totally transformed, I think, that entire uh, passing attack. So you hope it's another year of the offensive line getting better. And then another major reason why Justin Fields is under a lot of pressure, Sam Chicago still has two first round picks next year. And we're looking at a quarterback class that I don't mean to say grass is always greener, but there seems to be a lot of quarterbacks in this upcoming 2024 class that no matter where you are drafting, you might have the chance to get a guy who's at least got some promise for you can allow you to turn the page at the quarterback position. If that's what you're looking to do. So fields has a lot of pressure on him individually for his play, but also the outside parts of it's his third year. And Chicago's got two first-round picks coming up that really go into he's got to have a much better season as a passer this upcoming year. No, I, I agree. I think Fields was one of the guys I thought about putting on my list as well. Um, it's it's sometimes you, this happens, and there's there's one of the guys on my list where it's a slightly similar uh, structure. Where a year ago, a lot of excuses for Justin Fields, really. A different type of pressure because you can't say there was no pressure on him if he'd been terrible last season across the board he, he wouldn't have the job anymore they'd have drafted somebody at the top of the the draft he would already be benched um so there was pressure on him but there were also a lot of excuses real excuses you know reasons like that lack of receiving core like the offense that just wasn't capable of you know helping him out so there were reasons that justin fields wouldn't look amazing last year and then this season, they kind of commit to him. They go, no, we're not drafting a quarterback. We're actually going to trade down. And in doing so, we're going to pick you up a number one wide receiver. And generally speaking, the situation around him is going to be an awful lot better. So now it all shifts the focus back on you. You know, the, the excuses 
for your play don't exist as, as much as they did a year ago. Now it's going to be back on you. And I think there's a similar argument for another quarterback in the same draft class in, in Mac Jones in New England. Um, you know, last season, Mac Jones took a big step backwards. And we were looking at that and saying, yeah, well, of course he did because his coaches, like his offensive coordinator was some ungodly combination of a special teams and a defensive guy. Like it was a mess. Uh, now they bring in Bill O'Brien, who whatever you think about his tenure in Houston, he was generally accepted to be a very good coach. Maybe mm-hmm. the Bill O'Brien, the GM or the personnel guy ran it off the rails a little bit. But uh, in terms of on-field coaching, he was considered to be very good and has done you know, a good job coming from the college ranks as well. So now the, the, the attention goes all the way back on Mac Jones. Now it's like, all right, make or break season for Mac. you got to show that you can back up what you did as a rookie and, let's be honest, improve on it. I'm with you on Mac Jones, man. I, I feel like I've been more pessimistic with Mac um, really since he was drafted. I, I mean, people were putting him in the same conversations as it felt like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and 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 Trey Lance. And I know that obviously Fields and Lance haven't proven anything yet, but even going into the draft, when people looked at San Francisco trading all the way up to number three and they're like, oh, it's for Mac Jones. I'm like, it's for Mac Jones. Like, you got you got you got to dream a little bigger. I felt like that was if you were trading all those assets to go up to number three overall. Like I, I've always felt like Matt could be just a a solid NFL starter, but I've never seen the ceiling higher than that. And so right now with him in kind of this make or break situation, a lot of people look at Mac Jones and go, "Okay, is this where the leap is coming? If it's gonna come, I do think that it would probably be around this timeline, um, especially in his rookie contract, but." I'm not somebody who has been the one to kind of bet on that. So it's definitely a make or break year with Mac Jones. I've always just been a little bit more skeptical of him becoming this franchise type of quarterback than I think a lot of other people have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still very much an open question. Like, I, I was very encouraged by what we saw from him as a rookie, showing that the kind of his his skill set in college translated, right? The mm-hmm. Being able to make the right read, deliver the ball accurately, and get it to the yeah. right place at the right time most of the time worked in the NFL from day one, basically, just as it did at the University of Alabama. That's a significant thing. But then he took that step back, and we didn't really get to see, all right, now can you do more than that? Can you you know, really take that step forward and become a, a really high-end quarterback? Now he's going to show he can do that in year three. Otherwise, all bets are off, and they probably go in a different direction. Who else have you got in your list? Um... I'll go in order here to make sure I'm not uh, pissing off the graphics team. Who did I have next? Oh, Chase Young is next for me. Um, I again, I think that this is this is kind of an obvious one, right? He's going into his fourth year now, and it's his fourth season with his fifth year option not being picked up by the team. Right. Coming off of injury, right? He had the ACL injury a couple of years ago. He had a groin injury before that might have kind of gone into that, but. Tears his ACL, which is awful. Comes back last year. Didn't look like the same kind of player. But, you know, when we talk to guys who have these major knee injuries or even like Achilles injuries, I would just say major lower body injuries, a lot of them say, yeah, your body heals a lot faster than your mind does, right? I think that uh, I've been following, obviously, Chris Godwin's ACL injury because I follow Tampa Bay very closely. 
And sure, Godwin was out there. He was cleared to play after his ACL injury, but it really hasn't been until this summer where Godwin's actually saying, yeah, I actually, for the first time, feel like me again. And that's 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 over a year and a half. That's kind of the timeline that it takes. So there's reason to believe that Chase Young could really come into this upcoming year. The knee feels a lot better. He's more confident in his knee since that surgery, and he's willing to really let it loose, right? Not hold anything back. We saw Chase Young when he was at Ohio State, and especially that final season, that junior season for him, he had a 26.3% pass rush win percentage. That is not even human. He's winning on his one-on-ones more than a fourth of the time. That is truly insane. He had like a 96.5 pass rush grade. It was one of the highest pass rush grades that we've given out for a college player over a, a full full season. It, it was insane production for him. So there were high hopes with him going into the NFL, of course, with that being the case. And whether healthy or not, he just has not lived up to it. That first year, he had an 11.5 pass rush win rate, which is, of course, a major step back from 26.3. The following year, it was 12.1. Okay, a little better, but still not really where you want. The best pass rushers in the NFL are anywhere from, I would say, 18 to 23 percent of a pass rush win rate those are the best guys in the nfl which young has that talent to be and then this past year you know coming back from that injury only an 11.1 pass rush win rate so it just has not been nearly the chase young that we saw at ohio state and of course this is a massive pressure year for him because given what he was in college Given the recruit he was in high school, given what he became at Ohio State, given how highly he was drafted in his draft class, everything that we've seen over the last three years can be forgiven if he balls the hell out this year. If he has an incredible season and even shows consistent flashes of his ability as a true difference maker pass rusher, we're talking about a huge second-year contract for him, whether it's in Washington or not. But if we don't see a good and consistent Chase Young, then all of a sudden you wonder what becomes of his career. So this is the, the, this is a huge swing year in what we could be talking about when it comes to Chase Young, not just with him in Washington with his contract being up, but his entire career from this point moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time since the draft, basically, that he's got to go and earn it again, right? Once you're drafted as as a, such a highly... Uh, touted prospect his college production was insane the athleticism was clearly there you can skate by for a while just based off the reputation and the investment that's already been made in you uh, coming Mm -hmm. into the nfl but as soon as that fifth year option gets declined your team is saying "Eh, we're not buying that it's happening yet you got to go out and prove that you can be that dude going forward and maybe it you know won't maybe washington is is not in the range of outcomes for him. Maybe they've already decided they're moving on, but you need to go and show somebody else that you can be that guy and earn the big second contract that yep. you know all these players want. So, yeah, agree on Chase Young. Big year for him. Uh, my number two is when I started to deviate from players and go to different uh, areas. Um, Andrew Berry, Cleveland Browns general manager. I mean, presumably he's the guy that at the very minimum signed off, if not was the driving force behind this decision a year ago to go all in, 
for Deshaun Watson. And by all in, I, think, I mean, I think he, I think he has to physically sign off on it, right? right? I mean, he probably actually has to sign off on the deal. But yeah. yes, I mean, we can debate how much that was driven by ownership and how much of it was Andrew Berry's, you know, brainchild or whatever. But he's the Fair. guy. You're right. He's the guy whose name is on the sheet, and more importantly, he's the guy whose future is going to be tied to it. Like. If it screws up, ownership doesn't fire itself. Ownership is firing somebody, and the somebody they're firing is the general manager. So Andrew Berry is the guy that went and made that deal happen. And, okay, not only it would be the kind of thing that would expose a general manager's job to risk if it was a normal quarterback. And by that, I mean one that didn't come with baggage. Um, If it was just what they gave up to make it happen, if it was just the precedent-setting, precedent-breaking fully guaranteed five-year contract and it didn't work out it would be catastrophic um when you factor in the allegations and and legal issues around deshaun watson and the the sexual misconduct stuff you know now it's a whole other world and an additional layer of pressure as well but deshaun watson was pretty disastrous when he came back last year Mm -hmm. if he stinks again this year i mean that is that's an absolute catastrophe for that team and I would imagine can only possibly end in the like the end of Andrew Berry's tenure. Yeah, um, I I feel like I have been saying the Browns are one of the best rosters on paper in the NFL for the last two or three seasons, right? And, and when you look at since Andrew Berry has become the general manager, that's 2020. And to be fair, like Mayfield was still his quarterback at that point in time, right? Mayfield right. would be there for the 2020 season, which is the first year of Stefanski. They made the playoffs, but they made it as an 11 and five team. The following year they go eight and nine. That was Mayfield's last year, and then last year they go seven and ten. I, I I do agree with you, and it's it's a tough year to have a lot of pressure on you in the AFC, right? right. And I think specifically in the AFC North, You've, you're competing with the Bengals, who we know are going to be a stout team no matter what this upcoming season. I think the Steelers are going to be even better as Kenny Pickett kind of elevates himself in year two. The Ravens, I think them changing um, Greg Roman for Todd Munkin with an increased uh, talent pool at receiver. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So even just those teams in that division, Cleveland's got a tough, and that's not counting the rest of the division, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Bills, the Chiefs, like everybody else who could be competing against them when it comes to those playoff spots and wildcard spots. So uh, it's a really tough year to have a lot of pressure on you in the AFC, but it's been three or four years where Cleveland should have a roster good enough to make the playoffs. And I agree with you, if they're anything around 500, especially below 500 this year, uh, I think Andrew Berry's probably out. Yeah, I agree. All right, who's next up for you? So uh, this is actually a really good transition. I'm, I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield. And we just obviously talked about Baker Mayfield a little bit because of his days in Cleveland, and it didn't work out in Cleveland. Well, now he's in Tampa Bay, but he didn't just go from Cleveland to Tampa Bay. He first went to the Carolina Panthers, then he went to the Los Angeles Rams. Now he is on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he has a lot of pressure on him for, I think, the obvious reasons. And, and the biggest one being, This is your fourth team in two seasons, one and a half seasons, whatever it officially was when Cleveland ended up moving on from him. So you have had multiple spots, multiple coaching staffs, multiple opportunities to prove yourself, and here you are starting once again in Tampa Bay. If it does not work out for Mayfield in Tampa, I don't know how much longer he's in the NFL, right? Because Mayfield's... I, I don't know if he's really the type of quarterback that you would want to carry as a QB two on the team. 
I, he just doesn't seem like that backup quarterback type of player. So if it does not work in Tampa, is this the last spot of Baker Mayfield? Like, is he out of the league a lot sooner than we thought that he was going to be? There's a reason to believe that maybe his best years could actually be coming up here in Tampa Bay. Bruce Arians is the guy who brought him in. Yeah, Bruce is not the head coach anymore, but he has a lot of influence in that roster as a senior advisor to Jason Light. They absolutely love the personality. They love exactly who he is. It's the same alluring parts of why Bruce Arians said, yeah, I'll take Jameis Winston when he was in Tampa. And there were a lot of points where Jameis had some highs in Tampa Bay. Unfortunately, he just had a lot more lows that they couldn't deal with. And so that's where Mayfield's got to be different. They want him to be this gunslinger kind of a player, but you've got to temper those turnover-worthy plays down a little bit. He's not going to be this assassin who has a turnover-worthy play rate below 1.5% or something like that. But even you know if it's around like 2 Right. I think that that's something that is manageable for you. So there's just got to be improvement in that area. And uh, not only is he under a lot of pressure because he's in a competition for the starting gig in Tampa Bay, but he's also under a lot of pressure, kind of like Chase Young, where I don't know what happens to his career if he can't make it work in Tampa, because this is probably one of the last spots that would really take a chance on you. Bruce Arians is that kind of a that kind of a mind that would that would take a chance on you there. And then think of what's in Tampa Bay. You've got Mike Evans, you've got Chris Godwin, you've got these great one-on-one wide receivers who that's kind of your bread and butter. And if you can't make it work out there, I think he might be out of the league sooner than we again, sooner than we thought he was going to be. This is the first one where I completely disagree with you. <laughs> okay, all right. Cuz to me Baker's already failed. Like the the Cleveland thing unraveled in a hurry. That went south, and he mm-hmm. got kind of screwed there with the way they they effectively used the opportunity of getting Deshaun Watson to leave or Baker Mayfield out the door on the back of a year where he played hurt all season, and you know, kind of hung himself out to dry for the benefit of the team. So I think he kind of got hosed there. I did not see the Carolina thing going as badly as it did, which was a complete and total disaster for him. I thought that was actually a solid spot for him to maybe bounce back. He was awful in Carolina. Um, You know, had that one insane game for the Rams where he got off the plane basically with a page of the playbook and still executed a a game-winning drive at short notice. But then didn't play well the rest of the time. They didn't really make any kind of push to keep him around. Like, at this point, his career as a starter is over and he's somehow been handed like a bonus extra life, you know? Like you, you, you die in a video game and somehow there's like the extra 1P shows up. It's like you get to go again. woo Like this is free money for Baker. His career's already toast. All he can do is improve his situation from this point. If he fails in Tampa Bay, which I would imagine everybody is expecting to happen, he's in exactly the same spot as he was, you know, a couple of months ago. If, however... He bounces back, and we see some of the early Cleveland signs of life from Baker Mayfield. He could actually win himself a starting job, maybe not in Tampa Bay, but wherever, down the line. To me, this is only house money for Baker. And I think, I, I take your point that he's, he's an unusual personality and might not be the kind of guy that some teams want as a backup. I do, however, yeah. think that what you lose there, you probably gain in what he showed he could do stepping off a plane with the playbook in his hand for like 24 hours. Like, yeah, there's value sure. in that. You know what I mean? For a value, for a, a backup quarterback to be like, hey, what happens if we just toss in Baker Mayfield? Like, we, <laughs> we could win a game or two, you know? Maybe. And and I think that certainly him being that backyard type of quarterback where he goes, I don't need, I don't need the playbook. Like, I'm good. Just, just hike the ball and we'll figure it out. 
I think that that is advantageous for him, but I don't know how many teams want that as a backup quarterback. Right. Like, I, I can I can see how you would think that that is alluring because again, you're coming off the bench cold. You know, you're not in rhythm, and you're just Hardy is kind of playing backyard backyard football. But I think coaches in the league, most coaches in the league, would want more predictability from whoever their QB two is, even if it's a lower ceiling. They want a higher floor on whatever player that's going to be. And that's just kind of my take on it. But again, that's also why I have him under pressure a lot because I don't think that role exists for him if he fails in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, All right. My third person is staying with the front office personnel. I think Nick Cazario is now kind of on the hot seat. Um, There were reports that that was the case towards the end of last season, which I think was Mm -hmm. a little bit jumping the gun. We hadn't really seen you know, them really kickstart this whole project in a meaningful way. You can't say that anymore. Like whatever about their approach to free agency, which still confuses me as a general strategy, him putting all his chips down for number one, like CJ Stroud is our quarterback. Number two, then trading back in for um, Will Anderson and sacrificing next year. Like that is Mm -hmm. a big gamble that he's taken. And by the way, that's before you get to the idea of, you know, they kind of took themselves out of that number one overall spot with the random win at the last second. A lot of the reports, however much you can define truth from what's happening surrounding the draft, but it's a pretty strong indication that Houston loved Bryce Young as their number one guy and never had a shot at them, basically through their own fault, right? And have had to settle, quote-unquote, for C.J. Stroud as their guy. So now your career, your future your career is tied up in cj stroud who it doesn't sound like was your first choice and you've traded what is almost there's almost no way to construct an argument that that is the sort of plus ev approach of trading back in for will anderson like it might work out in your favor but you're playing like the small end of those odds i think casario has got to be on the hot seat um it it's funny because you you look at it and objectively I think from a thirty thousand foot view you almost go he almost had it right <laughs> he kind of screwed over Cully making him a one year head coach right screwed over Lovey Smith and I think that ownership was probably behind the closed doors totally cool with doing that yeah because it was supposed to net you number one overall yeah. they were so close. To getting it because how different are we talking about the Houston Texans if they would have drafted Bryce Young at Completely. one and then taken somebody else wherever they were picking right. at number twelve still had the first you know two picks the the, the following year as well so and by the way wh- like I think that was always the plan like Cully and Lovey were essentially hired as stopgap lame duck coaches yes. they were never a long term plan right you could tell right. that by the way they did it so yes everything was going to plan right up until lovey won a game they had no business winning at the end of the year yeah so uh i i it, it is sometimes hard for me to look at casario's spot and say yes his seat's got to be super hot because he's basically doing what the plan was all along they failed in one week of the season, right. and that ended up throwing a giant wrench into the entire plan. Now, does the Heat then become the scapegoat for the plan and go, yeah, we got to trade him, or we got to fire him anyways because 
Um, maybe that's the case. We see the NFL operate that every now and then uh, when it comes to these GMs and how they're tanking and, and whether they're wasting time. But I, I, it's hard for me to look at Casario and think that he's done that bad of a job because I think that he is pretty much orchestrated their plan almost to a T. The worst part about it for him was that Lovey won an extra game that they didn't think they were going to win. And now here we are with the Texans in a not ideal situation. There's also only so much credit I think you can give to somebody when like, yes, you are broadly speaking, executing the plan, but the plan as it currently stands appears to be to be as bad as humanly possible, which feels like it should be quite easy to achieve. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to say, all right, we're executing the plan, but the plan is to make the playoffs and then make the championship game and then win a ring. That's hard. It's quite easy to stink. Like, if your plan is to be the worst team in the NFL, I can only give you so much credit for actually achieving that plan. And you didn't even quite achieve it. You missed it. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting conversation with Casario. I... Am fascinated to see how this year plays out because I don't think the Texans are going to play in a way where they make up for losing out on Bryce Young and even trading up from twelve to number to to number three, losing the first round pick next year because the Cardinals are going to absolutely stink next year. Right. So I don't know. It's he's it's this this one's an enigma to me. Um, all right, who's number four on your list? Brandon Staley is next on my list. And okay. it, I, I again, did not think that we'd be having this conversation about Brandon Staley this quickly. I know he kind of came out of the gate hot with a lot of um, analytical decisions when it came to crunch time opportunities, going for field goals, going for two, going for it on fourth down, right? He was very much on the cutting edge there. Uh, and and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but he was getting a good conversation going, I think, about what good return on investment for that kind of uh, in-game decision-making would be. And then the following year, it was almost like he regressed totally, especially at the beginning of the year last year. And I can't remember if I was having a conversation with you or who I was talking with about it, but somebody was saying that it's easier to defend your job when things are not going well, when you're doing the ordinary, right? When you're not breaking the mold, when you are going very hard against what tradition is, even if you have good logic behind it, if it happens to not be working, right? If you happen to get the short end of the stick with some of those numbers and how the coin flips, if you will, it's harder to explain that to your bosses to keep you around. So people were like, maybe Staley went into this past year and he caught so much flack for being as much of a trailblazer as he was or pushing on the envelope of how football traditionally works that he went the complete opposite direction and he was like okay i got to be a little bit more conservative here because i got to try to save my job well the rest of the season went on felt like the chargers were pretty hot and cold they had that four game win streak there at the end of the season where at one point they were seven and six they win four in a row they make it into the playoffs they look like they're zooming they get up 27 and nothing on the road jacksonville and then they absolutely blow that second half lead as bad as you possibly can. And I think at this point, certainly there was even talk of maybe Brandon Staley losing his job at after that game. But now going into this season, you've got to really find out who you are as a coach. And I don't mean to make it over. I don't mean to try to make head coaching in the NFL oversimplified. Difficult job. A lot of things that you have to weigh. A lot of learning that you do along the way, especially as a first-time head coach like he is. But unfortunately for him, this is a win-or-get-out league. 
And the Chargers have not won enough, especially with Justin Herbert now truly ascending as a young quarterback talent, that if they underperform to their standards again this coming season, Staley will be gone. They cannot waste more time when they have Justin Herbert there on a rookie contract. And then hopefully, you know, that once they pay him a lot of money and he sticks around, then, of course, you've got to make sure the roster is ready to make that investment ready to take shots at the playoffs, deep runs, Super Bowls, all that kinds of stuff. So huge year for Brandon Staley coming up uh, and and mainly because of how that last year ended. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, also, I, I don't think it reflects particularly well on him at the moment that the defense hasn't really become even particularly good like Brandon Staley was the hottest defensive coaching name in the NFL yeah, absolutely you know on the on running the scheme that has become in vogue the Vic Fangio type of defense and the Chargers defense hasn't gotten any better it's not you know taking these leaps and bounds that we expected so agree with Brandon Staley um I got a head coach as well Josh McDaniels it's not unspooled as quickly as it has or as it did in Denver the first time around but this hasn't exactly gone the way of you know the the Josh McDaniels resuscitation as a, a head coach the second time around with the Raiders. They have gone out of their way to get rid of Derek Carr, which you know he did in Denver when he first arrived as well. Let's remove the previous guys. We're going to go in a new direction, um, and the solution so far has been Jimmy G, who then might not even be healthy. Like, they're, they've inserted a clause in his contract that means they can get rid of him if he can't pass a physical. Like, these are, these are pretty big problems for an offensive-minded head coach trying to prove that he isn't just an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Yeah. McDaniels feels like an obvious one. Um, I think a lot of people even looked at McDaniels when he got hired, and they were skeptical, right, because sure. of how things went in Denver and – because of how many years it had been since he once again took a stab at being a head coach. And um, I just think that there, that there has been pressure on McDaniels since day one of him becoming a head coach. He has been under pressure. Though. It's not, it, it was not all sunshine and rainbows when he became a head coach. There were always people that were going to look at Josh McDaniels and his history and go, okay, Brady made you look good when you were in New England. It was very easy to orchestrate that kind of an offense when you had Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady there with the Patriots. You had Bill Belichick, the greatest head coach of all time, uh, orchestrating the defense behind you. You failed as a head coach with a lot of your decision makings, both coaching and player personnel, when you were in Denver. So I feel like his seat's been at least warm since the second he got there. And now, yeah, he's under. I think he's under a lot of pressure for sure. No, I agree. I think McDaniels is definitely one of the most obvious ones. Who's your last guy? So this is this last one. I I had a little fun with it. it was I I tried to get creative in how I looked at this because the topic was who is under pressure. And when we think of under pressure, sometimes we think that that's a bad thing. But pressure can also be something that is present before great opportunities. And I think for Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions, he is under pressure this year in a good way. Like he is staring at a massive promotion and a massive jump up the ladder in his career if he's able to repeat the kind of performance that he had this past season. Think about it. Detroit Lions were one of the highest scoring offenses in the NFL. Nobody thought that going into the year. Nobody. Everybody thought that, okay, Dan Campbell, he's the head coach of the team. It's going to be a tough group. You're going to play good defense. You're going to run the ball. And, like, it's just going to be like a smash mouth kind of football team. And it was that in ways. 
But Ben Johnson also completely transformed that passing attack, which helped turn Amon Ross St. Brown to an elite receiver last year, helped get the best of Jared Goff that we've seen in years, which we thought might have been impossible. I mean, the Los Angeles Rams traded two first-round picks to just get this guy and his contract out of there to get Matthew Stafford in there, right? So that's what the Rams thought of Jared Goff at that point. Ben Johnson completely revitalizes Jared Goff's career, and we, we had heard that, you know, he'd been involved in some head coach searches, some interviews, things like that, but he ultimately wanted to come back to the Detroit Lions to be their offensive coordinator for another season. If they have a similar year, which last year I believe they were top five in both points scored per game and uh, yards gained per game, if they are top five again, if not even like a little bit better, a little bit more efficient, Ben Johnson is going to be head coach candidate number one for every single team in the NFL, especially looking ahead to what could be a really nice upcoming quarterback class in the NFL draft. Any team that is looking to turn the page from a quarterback and potentially draft one, whether it's in the top three, top five, top 10, first round, whatever it is, they're going to want that guy because of what he did with Jared Goff, a player that a lot of People in, in and out of the league had just written off as just, yeah, he's going to be mid for the rest of his career until he's just straight bad and we get him out of there. And he's actually gotten the best out of what Jared Goff has been able to do. They're going to think that that's going to be the case with whatever rookie they bring in. And, uh, yeah, I think that Ben Johnson's under pressure in the best way because if he succeeds again this upcoming year, he is going to be the hottest head coaching candidate in the NFL next offseason. He's going to sign a massive head coaching contract, and he's probably also going to have his pick of a lot of different teams, wherever they're going to be potentially drafting, with ever what whatever quarterbacks could be coming up in the league that he wants to get his hands on, um, and so I think that it's a, it's a big year for Ben Johnson. No, I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's, a, it's an out of the box way of looking at it, but I think you're right. Like he's in, he's under a, a positive amount of pressure that if he can back up what he did a year ago, he is going to be absolutely one of the top candidates. And I think he was the assistant coach of the year last season. He did a phenomenal job there. My last one is a lot more in the box, a lot more obvious. Um, Jordan Love. Like when you sure. move on from Aaron Rodgers, when the team decides that it's time, we're going to turn this over to you. Now you got to show up. And they kind of heap a little bit more pressure on him as well by sort of going, you know what? We're not just willing to pick up that fifth-year option. Actually, we're not willing to do it at all. You're going to have to renegotiate a deal. It's kind of – they didn't cut his legs out from under him, but they sort of started this whole thing off with a, we don't really think that you're the guy. <laughs> like, we're willing to give it a shot because we're mm -hmm. tired of Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, we, we, we effectively think that you're not going to be great over the next few years. So we're, we're going to make you sign this extension just so we're covered. But, eh, so he's, I think he's under a lot of pressure. One, to replace a legend, and two, because the team is basically publicly, or at least to him, intimated that they don't really buy into the idea that he's going to be amazing yeah and you know i i don't look too far into the contract honestly because it's a unique timeline you know, you're taking over for a unique situation where you're further along in your in your rookie contract and you know let's say he balls out this year right Let, let's say in a world where the packers make the playoffs and jordan loves a massive catalyst as to why uh jordan love then goes into next offseason he goes yeah we ain't playing on that next year that contract like he's gonna he he'll hold out they'll right. get a new deal and i think that, that that extension will come but i think that there is certainly some pressure taking over for aaron Rodgers, especially because of how it came to be with him being on the Packers, right? He is their first round pick in 
Oh gosh, what 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 year was it now that, that Jordan Love was drafted? I can't remember which draft it was, but he was in a draft where people were like, okay, go get weapons for Aaron Rodgers. And instead they pick a quarterback who could be his replacement. And I think that from that moment forward, there has been some sort of pressure on him to live up to that kind of billing. And it's an unfair pressure that's been on him, but now we get to see it and people are going to go, okay, this is the guy that started the avalanche of how you pissed off Aaron Rodgers to the point where he's going to end his career with a different team. I think that anytime that that's uh, that's the case that you have a lot of pressure on you. So I think that, yeah, it's an obvious one, but uh, Jordan Love, definitely one of those guys that has a lot of uh, pressure on him. I mean, the Packers are basically living this next ad read right now because the player that you benched in fantasy football just went off. With best ball and DraftKings, you get the best of your team all season long. This year, best ball and DraftKings is bigger and better than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. Join DraftKings' biggest best ball contest today and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Enter DraftKings' best ball millionaire contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from your top scores, no ads, drops, or trades. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. Head to DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars. That's code PFF only on DraftKings. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued is 10 DraftKings dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. Ends July 14th, 2023. Um, one, uh, we didn't, either of us on our list, neither of us had anybody from the Denver Broncos, which I think is interesting because that feels like a situation generally where there's an absolute ton of pressure, I'm just not 100% sure who it's on the most. Right. I, I I don't really know. I mean, if anybody, George Payton, I guess, has the most pressure. I mean, like, it's not on Sean Payton. And for as much as people, yeah, I think that uh, we had on our um, main Twitter account, the PFF Twitter account, we were like, oh, like, who's under the most pressure this season? And a lot of people answered, and they said Russell Wilson. Right. Russell Wilson's not under pressure this season. Russell Wilson has a basically an uncuttable contract for the next two or three years. Like you can't even think about cutting him. Like it's 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 eighty five million in dead money this year. Right. It, it's like seventy million the year after that, and then it oh it goes down to a measly forty five million. Like three years from now, you can't cut Russell Wilson. You're stuck. <laughs> They're stuck with him for the next at least two seasons. So. For as much as I agree, Russell Wilson's under a ton of pressure to play better. Right. What are they going to do? He, he, he he's not going to go anywhere. It's it would be one of the greatest. It would be one of the worst failures of contracts in NFL history if you had to move on from him within the next two years because of what it would do to your salary cap and how it would truly cripple your team. Definitely. And I don't think they can do that. So if anything, I think that George Payton, the guy who orchestrated the deal and signed the contract uh with russell wilson might be under the most pressure so that's kind of, I, I thought about russell wilson but then i looked up his contract and it's just insane 
Yeah, I mean, he's under pressure more from a kind of legacy standpoint, right? It's like you, we had this whole thing of the let Russ cook movement, and then you went somewhere else and you stank. And by the way, the team that you left did really well immediately. Right. And all of a sudden, everybody's rewriting history. And also, by the way, everybody else that was a part of that team immediately started to dump on you the second you left the building, right? Like all the Legion of Boom guys were talking about throwing crap his way like mm. his legacy took an absolute beating last season or his reputation so i think he's under pressure to kind of rebuild that and show that you know he, he wasn't a product of this environment in seattle he did his share of the lifting as well and it's just coincidence that when he left the building they got better and he got worse yeah no i i, I would i would agree with that it's that from a legacy standpoint he is under a ton of pressure i just looked up his contract though to, to make sure i had the numbers right this year if they were to cut him it would be 107 million in dead cap next year it's 85 million yeah next year it's 49 the year after that it's 49.6 this contract doesn't really get cuttable until 2026 when what? it would be 31.2 million that's dead cap and that's still a lot of dead cap but if he stinks no. this year i think they'll have to do it after this year like i think that they will bite the bullet and say they'll wait till the are, new year you are in you are in a complete roster rebuild at yes that point. yes like you have to you have to tear everything right. down if but you the are thing is somebody with 85 million in dead if cap. you keep him you already are like you're effectively saying this is already burned money it's just, do you want to have the guy that burned it on the roster or not? And at that point, you might as well get rid of him. Like, I think they'll wait until the new league year. But if he if he's as bad this year as he was last year, he won't be the starting quarterback for the Broncos in 2024, I would bet. Despite how painful that would be from a salary Let's, cap standpoint. All right, all right, hold on. I'm looking at post-June cuts. <laughs> okay, if after this year, they wait until... June 1 to cut him in 2024. It's only 35.4 dead cap. That's yeah, practically it's a bargain at that point. How can you leave it on the table? <laughs> um, all right, let's wrap up the podcast with a question from the mailbag. NFL podcast at pff.com is our email address for mailbags. Uh, mm -hmm. This one starts, question from the floor. It's from Matt Anderson. The 49ers quarterback situation is currently in flux due to Brock Purdy's injury. Trey Lance has worked on his throwing mechanics to improve accuracy. Sam Darnold has a contract that suggests he's making the final 53. The latest media reports suggest that Purdy may be ready for week one. If this is the case and Lance plays well in the preseason, what would you advise the 49ers front office to do? Trade Lance and roll with Purdy uh, and Darnold or keep Lance so that they have three quarterbacks on the roster and avoid I, I largely wanted this podcast or wanted this email specifically for this word by the way avoid the shibacle which I believe is a mashing up of debacle and shit which is a phenomenal <laughs> word I, and I just, it needed to be read out of last year uh last year's NFC championship game doesn't happen again uh, yes, we'll be there again because we're that damn good. I apologize in advance for the incoming crap storm that will be your Twitter mentions as 49ers fans come for you over whatever your answer is. So, Trev, uh, let's stipulate those are the circumstances. Brock Purdy is going to be ready for week one. Trey Lance effectively gets the shop window over training camp and preseason and performs well. What do you do? Trade him away or keep him and avoid the shabacle? That uh, that was the NFC Championship game. Um, I'm probably not trading either of them. I prob I'm probably not. Like, because 
look, for as great as Brock Purdy was during his run at the end of last year, he was Mr. Irrelevant in the draft. Right. And, and and maybe he's about to Tom Brady, all of us, like if he's the next Tom Brady, like, so be it. But I still think there's a pretty big regression coming for Brock Purdy, even in a Kyle Shanahan orchestrated offense. So I'm not totally convinced from what I saw last season, especially coming off the surgery that he just had on his elbow that I would go. Yeah, let's trade Trey, Trey Lance. We're getting we're getting out of here. We're rolling f- fully on Brock Purdy, and for Lance on the other side of that, think of everything that they had to give up in the draft to go get Lance. Sure, if you think it's sunken cost, you'd like to recoup any of that that you possibly could. But with me not having as much faith that Brock Purdy is going to be the next Tom Brady as some other people do out there, I would roll with both of these guys throughout this upcoming season. I really would. And next year, maybe you're in a situation where you could trade something for them. But it, it, it'd be really bold for you to move on from either of these guys definitively at the beginning of the season during training camp. Because you think you, like you could think in your head, oh, what if Jimmy G doesn't pass his physical with the Raiders? Then all of a sudden, the Raiders are going to be extremely desperate to get a quarterback. Right? Uh, can you get a first-round pick for Trey Lance? Because then, I don't know, maybe you're thinking about it. Anything less, and you're probably, again, it's probably not worth it for you given everything that you gave up for him, and you still haven't seen everything that you've wanted for him when it, from an experience standpoint. So those are all the thoughts that kind of swirled around in my head. I wouldn't be moving on from no matter what, given the limited time that we saw Brock Purdy, what I thought about him pre-draft, the injury that he just went through, and also given the fact that Trey Lance just has not played and started a lot of football over the last couple of years. So I'm still interested to see what he becomes. Yeah, I I think um, it always depends what the trade offer is, right? Like if somebody comes in with a big enough deal, obviously you're going to listen to the conversation and see, and maybe that's enough to, to make you pull that trigger. I do think one variable that is important for San Francisco is, like the email says, they expect to be in the NFC Championship game again. Like, this is a team that expects to be in the last two games of the season, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it is a different dynamic than it would be for any random team in the middle of the pack where you're like, we think we have our new guy. It's not the guy we thought it was. But we're good enough to go with him, and let's let's cash in now, you know. And if if our new guy gets injured, so be it. These are the risks we all take. Mm-hmm. Like the 49ers just lived through the experience of running out of three quarterbacks right. in the worst right. possible time. If there is a team that has value or places significant value in the third guy on the roster, it's going to be San Francisco. So I think that is a slightly different risk reward calculation than it would be for. You know, any other team that just, it's just another sort of also round of the season. Um, and I'm kind of with you. I think you keep him around because ultimately you believed not that long ago that he was talented enough that it was worth trading or losing, essentially costing three first round picks right. to bring him in. Right. It's not like he's shown that he isn't that. Like we haven't, right. his, he's barely played in the NFL. Like he hasn't gone out there, been awful for two years. And now you're like, wow, thank God we got Brock Purdy so we can move away from this disaster. Mm-hmm. We just, he just didn't like immediately show that he was worth that three first round picks. So he's still very much in the unknown category rather than the definitely bust category. So I'm kind of with you. Like it's just, it's good contingency to have unless somebody is willing to throw something crazy at you and say, 
you know, here's most of what you gave up back to, to get rid of him. Yeah, um, right. I tweeted right. this out yesterday or the day before. Ten different quarterbacks last season had more pass attempts just in the NFL season than Trey Lance has had in his high school, college, and NFL career put together. That's, I mean, I knew the dude didn't play a lot of football, but that's crazy. Right? Wow. Wow. It's All ridiculous. Right. <laughs> He's barely and, and like, played. And to that evidence, you don't trade that player then. Right. You do you do you don't trade that player. He has not played enough football for you. Now we're also saying this as far outsiders of the situation. Sure. If the coaches who have watched him in practice and everybody who's actually watched him goes, Holy cow, this kid isn't it. Like he doesn't have it. That's a different conversation. But we're having to articulate our point and our projections based off of just what we have seen and straight up the answer is we have not seen enough yet for me to say yeah you'd trade him one way or the other but it's such an important point that like this guy went three overall and you know three first round picks essentially was what it cost when you factor in the one that they spent ultimately like Mm -hmm. with that kind of resume like he had never played he'd barely had played the game remember like mm-hmm. his final season in college football was like one the what display game like a, an exhibition of, kind game. Of game that wasn't yeah, yeah. really a game like an exhibition game just to sort of put him in the shop window uh, like a, a, a fake pretend game just to show that he was you know preparing for the draft or whatever it was insane and mm-hmm. then a high school career that didn't feature an awful lot of passing or play and you know one season of low volume passing in college and in the NFL, we basically haven't seen any from him. So he went that high with that kind of, we have no idea what this guy is going to be in terms of a quarterback. We just, his skill set is that good that we're willing to buy into that. And not only that, but it's not like he did that in the SEC or whatever. This was, we've barely seen him play. And where we saw him play was, in, was at North Dakota State. Like the list of, ver- of unknowns for Trey Lance was always through the roof. So it, it makes sense that he hasn't come in and been, like, amazing from day one. This was probably always going to take a little bit of time. Yep. Um, and I, as I say, we haven't seen any reason to say that he definitely can't be that guy, at least from the outside. So I'm with you. Like, unless you're, unless you're sitting there at the end of every practice going, this guy is, has zero chance of ever becoming a quarterback based on right. what we're seeing or in the meeting rooms or whatever, unless that's your takeaway within the building – I think trading him away would be a short-sighted approach unless the offer is just too good to turn down. I agree. I agree completely. All right, there we go. Detente. We've uh, we've come to the conclusion. We've answered, what was the guy's name? Matt Anderson? Was that his name? What was it? Shibakal? Yes, Shibakal, which somebody in the chat yeah. has said is a Philadelphia thing and might be a mashup of shambles and debacle. Mm. Um, either way, I, I prefer... You know, you hear a shit show all the time. I prefer the idea of shit and debacle mashed together. Uh, both of them work. It, it does still work. That's true. Um, all right. That's going to be it. That's the end of our uh, show for Thursday. That's our end of our PFF NFL podcast shows for the week. Myself and Steve Palazzolo will be back on Monday. And uh, Trev will be back at a date to be confirmed. Thanks for all for listening and talk to you soon.